we are recording on Wednesday, November 24th, because on the 25th it is Thanksgiving in the United States, uh, which is half of where we live. <laughs> yeah, the older American days off, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure we must have the same amount of holiday, like, over the course of the year, but it always feels like you have random days that we never catch up on, I don't know. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Thanks for recording on a different day with me this week. And That's no problem uh, at all. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, we do have a few updates to talk about um, news-wise, and, um, and then there's there's kind of a surprise uh, lawsuit from Apple we'll get into, and uh, mostly what I really want to talk to you about this week is, is your experience with your MacBook Pro, because you're now using it um, for more than just a day. And, yeah, I mean, uh, touch wood, this recording goes fine, because this is the first recording from it. So okay. We've, yeah. And we and we switched from Skype to Zoom, because it came to the point of installing Skype on this laptop, I was like... A call recorder doesn't work anymore, and B Skype's just as bad as Zoom, or perhaps worse. So, oh, sure. much worse. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it the the icon bounces on the dock whenever you launch it several times. So it bounces several times when you launch it each time. So it's a sign of, of how it is. Uh, but let's kick it off with uh, Apple employees going back to work. Not this week, it's Thanksgiving. Uh, but but uh, what's the situation there? Yeah. So obviously, the long running saga of um, you know Apple's. Not fight, but Apple's uh, drama with its uh, in-office employees about work from home, coming back to the office. Originally, Apple wanted everyone to be back in the office like now, uh, but then with the like Delta variant and stuff that got delayed next year, there were big, you know, internal petitions and debates about like you know, obviously some you know a decent percentage of the people that should be in Apple Park like or were two years ago are back in now. Like all the hardware teams are mostly. Uh, in the office at least you know a few days a week but there's a lot of people in the software divisions that feel like they've been just as productive if not more productive working from home and they want to stay that way and a lot of the other tech companies in in silicon valley have offered you know full full, full remote from work opportunities or you know at least several days a week and stuff and obviously apple tends to prefer people you know being in physical proximity and they certainly don't seem to have backed down that yet tim cook keeps talking about a like a hybrid model maybe um but for now, what they're going to do, originally it was like Q4, then it got pushed back to next year. And now uh, they have announced that the new date for the hybrid work pilot is February 1st, 2022. Uh, employees will be expected to work out of the office for one or two days each week. Uh, and then beginning in March, they'll be working from the office on Monday, Tuesday and Thursday, and then at home on Wednesday and Friday. So Apple has previously committed to going through with this policy for like next year and then they'll quote review. So <laughs> we probably won't see the full like backlash of people leaving or whatever on mass if they don't like it until, you know, they, they double down. Cause obviously Apple and um, the executives like hook and co at the moment are leaving the door open for, well, we'll see how this pilot goes next year, but if it goes well, we'll carry on or, you know, maybe even offer more work from work. But if they don't like it, they could just say everyone back to normal. But the the d-day day almost keeps getting pushed back just because of the you know the surges in variants and stuff but now it seems to be uh february it's going to start and then march everyone should be back at apple park at least three days a week mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh uh, man I, I i had i had a lot more thoughts about this when it first came around um you know we, we spoke about that in, in episodes months ago um you know, I think, think both of us are really inclined to endorse working from home when or working remotely when, when possible, uh, when possible. I mean, especially I, I've got I've got um, a good friend of mine who's who's been um, 
who, who's changed. He, he's in the process of changing work right now because, you know, through the pandemic, it was sort of um, tested and proved that his, his work from home, you know, or, or remote work uh, effectiveness was, um, you know, just as good, if not better than, than going into the office. And, and this is, this is specifically for, for sort of tech work. So, um, you know, it makes sense for that. And, and then, and then as things slowed down with, with the pandemic, then he was um, required to go back in every single day. And so um, de- definitely, uh, you know, a- acknowledge and um, appreciate the frustration of, of getting this policy right and, uh, and and everything. So, uh, yeah, and there's going to be term. There's going to be changeover and turnover, right? Because whatever their decision is, some people are you know some people are begging to go out to the office because they want separation. Some people want to work from home all the time. Um, I don't think Apple's. I think Apple's already shown their cards, and they're not going to do like a Twitter where Twitter basically said everyone's going to be working from home forever. Basically, uh, they clearly want some in office presence. Uh, and this, you know, it's debatable whether that'd be beneficial or not. But the the point is, these companies have to make a decision and then suffer the ramifications of people that have enjoyed the last two years of being working from home, wanting if they want to continue that, then they have to get a different job. And that's the decision ultimately it rests on, you know, the board and the executive team to make. It's like, do we want to accept this? Do we want to lose potentially some top talent just because they, you know, want to work from home now or not? So at some point they'll uh, have to make that final decision. But it's gonna. Everyone's gonna be coasting at least for a little bit in this quote like hybrid pilot period where they're not really committing to anything. They're just kind of trying out. Like even some of the other, uh, the bigger companies like Microsoft. Microsoft's um, had a lot more noise in the last couple of months, like saying about how they they've they've done studies and research that showed that like productivity while working from home for them was or or at least like productivity was the same, but innovation was lower. That that seems to be a lot of the angle that these bigger companies are going for like are you the ones that want to encourage their employees to come back to the office they're now going for the angle of like well yeah you got all your work done but we think the emergent ideas you know the natural conversation that kind of stuff has been lost a little bit so that's why we want to still encourage you to come you know to come in in person and, and meet up but we've still got a while to go yet before we really see the the fallout of that for, for sure for now everyone's just kind of like tentatively suggesting things before anyone really wants to upset people by actually making a firm decision i think yeah, I would I would describe Apple's approach both before and now as 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 I mean it's hybrid, but it's more rigid. It's more of a rigid hybrid approach where it's mm-hmm. it's not you know it isn't um, experiment and see what works. It's here are the rules and you know you don't you don't you never have to work remotely if you don't want to. Is, is sort of their their view of hybrid. Um, yeah, especially when the days they've chosen are so like annoying on purpose because <laughs> you can work in the office Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Like it's not a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So then you could do. Uh, thursday and friday at home it's you know they've specifically carved out that middle wednesday so that you can work from home but then the very next day you go back into office so like mm-hmm. th- and they didn't do that on a whim right they've clearly done that to ensure that people can't just take like long weekend breaks i guess mm, yeah uh, yeah and, and, and you and i we've always for you know for, in this job worked remotely and um for me that's been mm, i think it's for, for both, how long has it been for both of us like going on eight years now Oh yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah 2013. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, man, I, I I don't know how it is for you, but for me, um, just the 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 ability to return to say a coffee shop was was huge for me. You know, that meant a lot. Uh, I, I I love the idea of having the option to go into an office or work from home. To, to, like you know, to have the option to have have your company have an office. You know, for nine to five Mac, we're all remote all the time, um, unless we're doing you know some event or something, but um, I, I, 
you know, the, the, the closest thing to sort of in-person work would, would be, you know, go to a community office space that you share with not nine to five Mac, but, but with other people, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I know for me, I, uh, I, I, I go long stretches of time where I never think about, man, I wish I had an, an in-person place to go. Um, but just over the last, you know, couple of, couple of months I've, um, longed for, you know, just, just the basic human interaction of, you know, Hey, Monday through Friday, I see you today, you know, and, and the, the ability to, to just have the, have the choice of, you know, well, uh, I work from home for three days and then I feel like, oh, I'm missing the, the in-office interaction. Let me, let me go in for those. And, um, so, so that the office is less of a place that you have to be to do your job. You know, if it's possible to work remotely, that's, that's, that's always, you know, step one, but, um, that it's a, that it's just a, another, you know, offering of your job. And, um, you know, of course it's, it's so specific to what you do, especially at, you know, we talk about Apple, they, they, they can't have a one size fits all policy. It's, it's, this is the best case scenario we'll offer you. And then it depends on what you actually do as to whether that applies to you or not. So. Yeah. And, and I think Apple likes to front a united policy, but they're like any company, they have subdivisions and subdivisions and, you know, the people in the chip division have different rules and it, like, you know, you still got all the people, there's all the, before the COVID stuff, there was still the politics, the, uh, you know, the company politics going on about which teams get to work in Apple Park and which teams still have to work in Infinite Loop because they have nicer offices mm-hmm. in one place or the other, or people don't like the open plan arrangement of <laughs> of Apple Park. So they want, they you know, they re- wanted to stay in Infinite Loop even if they were told to move over. So like, this stuff always goes on. It's just, I think in the absence of um, normality, the, you know, all these issues just get highlighted even more, right? And so mm-hmm. this is just a huge factor that in the, is in the public opinion. But Apple's always had stuff to do with this. Like, obviously, more recently, they've had the big, um, you know, internal leaks about pay and equity and stuff like that, which is obviously more serious. But the less serious stuff, just in terms of, like, employee preference, for instance, the cubicles versus proper offices, um, that stuff's going on forever, right? And most of the time, you just never even... Heard a heard a peep about it. It just happened in in silent or below the you know in, outside of uh, the news cycle. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and uh, you see this week that this doesn't affect you in the UK uh, yet, but in the United States, there's this feature in iOS 15 where you can have your driver's license uh, digitally appear in the Apple Wallet app on the on the iPhone, and in some situations, um, serve as a more convenient way to access your driver's license. Um, it, Apple announced this at, at WWDC as part of iOS 15 and say it would launch later this year. Uh, and as we get to the end of the year, they've pushed it back to at, at least not next month, not December. So it'll be sometime in, in 2022. Uh, and this, this was already a, 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 I'd say severely limited rollout where you've just got a um, select number of, of us states that, that, that uh, support this in the first place. Plus it'll be limited what, where this can be accepted, but um at least, at least the initial rollout won't begin until sometime uh, next year, right? Yeah, like I think the quoted states on board are Arizona, Connecticut, Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Maryland, Oklahoma, and Utah. But even in supporting states, it's going to be a snail's pace deployment, right? Like, there's no way in let's say let's say the feature shipped in January. There's no way in February you'd be able to walk around your city without your ID that you've digitized because half the place, you know, 90% of the places that go that want your ID won't be up to date on the new system. They'll be like, what on earth is this thing? I can't scan this. So, you know, everyone's going to be carrying around their physical ID for months and years, like decades probably, but it's just an extra layer of convenience that can be slowly edged in. I mean, look at look at mobile payments in terms of contactless, right? With Even in the UK, it, you still hit places where 
Apple Pay. They're like, we can't, we don't accept Apple Pay. And so you can't not carry your credit card around, you know, like, but if you're coming at it from that angle, then the absolutist perspective, then this feature is completely pointless to never do it, which is just stupid. Like, it's just a nice convenience that you can choose to use if you want to. And it will very slowly, glacially become more and more commonplace and accepted. <laughs> and it's just another way for Apple to, you know, bind your usage of the iPhone to the rest of your life. And for an individual customer, it's just convenient. Like, I know there's been some um, criticism, maybe, or like worry or con- consternation about, you know, giving it to the police and stuff. But if you have those concerns, you just don't have to use it. It's not like Apple's mandating that from next year, the only way you can use your ID is from your phone. Like, that's obviously never going to happen. <laughs> uh, but if you're just like going, I think the, I think the, uh, the airport's like a great example, right? Like, they just want to scan your ID. Well, rather than having to dig and carry all your stuff around, you can just scan your phone and in time you'll be able to depend on that being at the airport right like and and those specific activities that you do maybe like visiting stadiums or, or doing traveling where it's like the train station the airport will sl- you'll eventually come to a point where you're like oh i know this place accepts digital id so i won't bother being my physical id but of course in day-to-day life you're not gonna not carry your passport or your driving license around just because yeah. it's on your phone because that's going to take decades to cement into society Mm, yeah, the uh, the 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 airport. I mean, uh, idea. If, if you don't fly, then you just don't care. But if you fly, then you you can you can look back to the um, you know, go back to Passbook before Wallet was the name of the app, and and like I think the the most uh, most convenient thing you could do was to have your boarding pass for your flight in the Passbook app on your on your iPhone. And um, you know, for the longest time, the uh, the behavior I saw at airports was there was a majority of people would have a printout whether they brought it from home or print out from the airport of their, of their boarding pass. And then, you know, a select few early adopters, myself included would have the the digital boarding pass. And then, you know, slowly it became a bit more of a mix. And then now to have it print out from home is, is almost like writing a check in a grocery store and, and, you know, to have a print out from the airport is, is not uh, as, as uncommon, but it, it's still, I think I'd say that the default, but that you see most travelers doing, you know, frequent travelers doing is, is scanning with their phone and you, and, uh, you know, it's the same venue, it's the airport, but you look at, you know, going through um, in the United States, at least TSA to, to, you know, say I have a, I have a ticket and I have an ID and my, the name matches, you know, and those are the places where this begins, the rollout, the, that that will be very convenient, um, and and not not just I mean and, and the you know the subject here is that it's it's not happening by the end of the year it's going to be a little bit longer but um, something that, that 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 did start you know this year and and has been rolling out um, having proof of your your COVID vaccination uh, in mm-hmm. the wallet app I, I've I've seen that be. Um, yeah, that's very much a rollout as well. So for example, um, where my uh, the hospital system where I live uses my chart as the, I guess the, the, the tech side of where your digital health records exist. And so there was a recent update where my chart supported your COVID vaccination uh, card. If, if you were, um, if you received it through the hospital system that works with my chart. And so all of a sudden, you know, this feature where I was like, I really don't know how to use this. It, it, it's not clear to me how you were, how do you get your 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 vaccination card in the wallet app? Um, once my chart rolled out support a few weeks ago, then it was like, oh, that's the missing thing. It's that that the the you know the the tech side of it on on the provider side wasn't there yet. Um, and once it's what rolls out, then this you know the adoption is just like, it's like flipping a light switch. All of a sudden, everyone can do it. 
Um, and, and so, you know, we'll, we'll, I, th- I think we'll see that with the, with the digital idea as well, that, you know, the, the slow part will be even just, you know, step zero, getting, getting states to support it. And, and, you know, out of 50 states, I think you, you mentioned maybe, maybe fewer than 10. Um, I liked your pronunciation of Maryland, by the way. That was good from a UK perspective. What, um, Maryland? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, think, think about, I, I would, I would say that this maybe, I, I hope this is more like, like um, boarding passes and, and digital movie tickets and the, and, and passbook in the wallet app than it is even, um, even, even Apple pay and contactless payments, because that feels, that feels more like you can rely you know, if if you know your theater and you know your airport works with this thing, then you know that you can always rely on, or, or the airline, then you know at least those venues and companies work with the digital version. Whereas with that, with with contactless payments, you know, it's always a variable as to where you're going to end up needing to spend money. Um, but but maybe will there be more of a reliability of well, the digital ID that can always rely on it at the airport or at sure. this 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 venue. So yeah, yeah. I mean, contactless is more. Um, penetrated in Britain, right? But even now, like you can't walk around without your actual card just in case because plenty of opportunities come up where it's like, well, this is the only way to pay. Mm-hmm. And, um, then, and then, uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, and then, and then finally, uh, Apple has their uh, annual uh, gigantic massive savings. Uh, yeah, where you can pay year. lots of money. <laughs> you can pay lots of money. With Apple Pay or otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. They started doing this, like, what was it? They, for the longest time, Apple just ignored Black Friday altogether and they just pretend like it didn't happen. But I think it was around like 2015, 2016, they started doing a, like a, a Black Friday shopping event and they have another one this year. But it's more symbolic than, you know, deal deal grabbing, let's be real, because they give you like a $50 gift card off an Apple Watch SE or something. But most of the time, if you're looking for the best value for money, you can find the exact same products at a third party retailer, just more discounted. Whereas the Apple deal was like, you buy it full price and then you get a gift card you can use for a future purchase right so you know, and i think a lot of people were freaking out because it says you can get a 50 dollars gift card on accessories and that includes like a four pack of air tags which would be like a good deal because that's like half off but it the critical point there is it says up to a 50 dollars gift card so i think on the air tags you'll probably only get like a 25 dollars gift card and then the more expensive accessories like the ipad pro um what do they call it? The charging ca- the charging keyboard, smart smart keyboard, something or other. Whatever they call it, smart keyboard case, that thing. Uh, <laughs> magic that, keyboard, really? the magic keyboard. That's what I'm trying to remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's magic. Uh, <laughs> how could I forget? But yeah, so on the magic keyboard, you'll probably get the full fifty dollar credit. But I'm pretty sure the AirTags are not going to have the fifty dollar gift card. They'll just have like the ten dollar or twenty five dollar one. So it's good, you know, if it's a Friday and you're looking, if you've got some spare money to spend at Apple, then maybe it's an opportunity. But if you're actually looking to save money, you should consider uh third-party retailers yeah the, the annual reminder <laughs> that your best savings aren't at the apple store but if you happen to be shopping at the apple store that day don't don't uh, forget your, your your credit at least speaking of which happy hour this week is brought to you by simply mac and hyper for black friday uh, you can find out more information about all the deals in the 95 mac posts but they have some incredible deals coming up for you if you're looking for a new mac or just accessories in the run-up to christmas or if you just want to treat yourself. In fact, it's Simply Mac's biggest Mac event ever with up to $350 off all new Macs. You can get a 13-inch MacBook Air for just $879. You can get $200 off a brand new 14-inch MacBook Pro and even save $300 on the brand new 16-inch MacBook Pro. Simply Mac is also selling simply branded silicone iPhone 12 cases at half price and you can get the Gadget Guard screen protectors for $999 too. 
Uh, check out the 95 Mac post for a full breakdown of the great deals available from Simply Mac. Viper is also going big for Black Friday with 30% off across the site. That's a 30% saving site-wide. One of their top items this year is the Viper 10-in-2 USB-C hub, available for just over $90. A perfect gift if you just picked up a new MacBook. And if you've bought one of those colourful new iMacs this year, you might be longing for some front-facing I.O. Well, with the 5-in-1 USB-C hub from Hyper, you can do just that. It comes with a little clamp that you just snap on the bottom chin of the iMac to add an array of USB ports. And there are seven different faceplates included to match the exact colour of your iMac model. And they also have some doorbuster savings up to 60% off, including the Hyperdrive 11-in-1 hub down from $129 to just $49.99. And you can get a Hyperjuice wireless charging stand to charge your iPhone and your AirPods simultaneously for $29.99. That's 40% off normal price. So again, check out 95Mac.com for more information on all the deals this Black Friday from Simply Mac and Hyper. Thanks to Simply Mac and Hyper for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, let's see what we have next up. There is this lawsuit where uh, a- Apple has sued. I think the party is 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 uh, criminals, and they've sued criminals against the ability to commit crimes. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, that's not too far off. So okay. NSO Group, uh, the makers of the very uh, prolific Pegasus exploit is what we generally call it. Um, it's the thing where year after year, this state-backed, state-funded, you know, Middle Eastern, Israeli group. They have they get paid an awful lot of money from not-so-ethical um, governments, let's say, to find ways to hack into the iPhone, including the most critical, like, zero-click hacks, as they're called, where an individual person doesn't have to do anything at all. They don't have to click a link. They don't have to, you know, type in their password. They just sit there dormant with their phone and then these zero-day exploits are used to break into the device, take control of it, extract data, spy on their people, whatever you know, whatever you can imagine. Because as soon as you've got a zero-day, zero-click access, you've essentially got you know arbitrary code execution. Anything's happening; it's completely breaking the you know Apple security and sandboxing model. So you know Apple doesn't like this, and for the last few years, we've had these posts go up where it's like oh here's a new exploit affecting ios 13 and then they fix it and then it's like well pegasus is back again when i was 14 using slightly different exploits but the same general idea and then they fixed it and then with ios 14 apple made a big deal about this um technology called blast door which was aimed to like sandbox off iMessage, right because one of the key vectors where uh this exploit was getting delivered was through iMessage notifications so using a very specially crafted payload uh, the iPhone would receive an iMessage or what looks like a normal iMessage, but when it would render it for the previews and like notifications and stuff, something, you know, it would ex- it be coded in such a way that the iPhone would interpret it badly and then it would allow for n- n- nefarious code to be downloaded and executed, right? So with iOS 14, Apple specifically was targeting this with this technology they called Blastor, which basically sandboxed off the iMessage message passing um system with the idea being that oh if this only happens in this little box here that doesn't have any communication to the rest of the system even if that is exploited it won't be able to do cause harm to the phone that worked for a little while but yet again the nso group found a way through that so that happened and then again um we don't apple says they haven't yet found evidence that this exploit has happened on ios 15 because they've batten down the hatches on the blast or stuff and other security uh, imp- implementations even further 
but who knows? Maybe there is an iOS 15 exploit out there for Pegasus that we just don't know about yet. Because the iOS 14 one was particularly uh, newsworthy because it was a f- it was reported. We covered this on Happy Hour a few months ago, if you remember. Uh, and it was affecting like political activists and journalists you know, all over the world. And this group called Citizen Lab, they managed to find devices that had been infected with the Pegasus malware, do a full inspection of it and kind of work out what had happened, right? And then they reported this to Apple uh, in September and Apple released a patch with iOS 14.8 about a week later. So, you know, Apple's pretty on the ball in terms of fixing these exploits when they arrive, but clearly they're not very happy that year after year after year after year, this, you know, Israeli group is managing to hack into their device security. And these exploits, they cost hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So they're only targeting very few people. So, you know, you or me, probably fine, but politicians, you know, political activists especially in countries that want to, you know, kind of enforce a, that don't have proper democracy and stuff. Like, that's when you could potentially be a target by this. And Apple does all it can, does all it can, but clearly they keep getting hit by exploit after exploit. So the latest development in this saga is literally, in a surprise announcement this week, Apple is actually taking legal action against mm-hmm. the NSO group. So they want, to, they want to, quote, hold the company accountable for the surveillance and targeting of Apple's users. They also include a few more details about the uh, the Pegasus exploit, which Apple brands as forced entry in capital mm-hmm. letters uh, for whatever <laughs> reason. And they're even like notifying people that have been targeted. Apple said that uh, this spire is being abused to target journalists, activists, dissidents, academics, and government officials all around the world. Uh, just today, we saw that some people in Thailand were getting um, notifications from Apple that they had been targeted by this exploit. Obviously, it's a small number in terms of the overall user base of billions of devices, but it probably, you know, you're probably talking tens of thousands here, uh, based on, especially if you talk historically over the entire run of this thing. But this latest exploit at least uh, target hundreds of people. Uh, Apple said, Craig Federighi, uh, SVP, said state sponsored actors like the NSO group spend millions of dollars on sophisticated surveillance technologies without accountability, and that needs to change. So they are taking the step to sue them. Is it going to make a difference? I. I mean, like you said in the in the introduction of this segment, like you can target criminals, but there's a reason why they're called criminals because <laughs> they commit crime regardless of what's going on. Like they knew this was illegal and against the law, but they're essentially lawless and you know a nebulous group of people that maybe they can extract a few million dollars from somewhere. Maybe it will just you know what will probably happen is it will just send them more underground. So rather than Israel being able to openly pay this company hundreds of millions, maybe they have to do it behind the scenes a little bit more now or whatever um i don't think apple opening a lawsuit is really gonna undermine their operations like it will just make them change their name i don't know do you know what i mean like i don't think there's going to be the 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 technical solutions obviously are way more effective than the legal route it's just very symbolic that apple's decided look this is enough is enough we're going to make a pr campaign out of this we're going to take them to court over it yeah yeah i mean as a total layman in this area you know me uh i i look at it as 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 apple sues you know hackers for hacking and it's like okay well they weren't allowed to in the first place so why 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 would suing um deter you know it's like saying you should make it a crime to to you should make it illegal to commit a crime but um there's certainly more nuance to this that i'm just not 
you know, privy to. And because I did, I did see commentary on Twitter and people were saying, well, this is the, this is the right, you know, people who are in the security space, iOS security space specifically, you know, saying, well, about time that this happened, <laughs> you know, so there, there, there must be some, um, you know, results that could be expected to be had here and, and, you know, following in, in Facebook's footsteps. I'm, I'm curious how what the results were there. Um, just, just, uh, I, th- I think one, you know, one of the operative words is, is that it's, it's in, in Apple's even newsroom release on this was a, the idea is to, is to, is to curb, um, you know, a, a, attacks like this. And, and so there's, there's no misunderstanding that they can be eliminated, but that maybe this can be slowed down if, if this, if this process, you know, uh, bears fruit. Yeah. Maybe if Apple shows that they're not going to stand for this in such a public fashion, maybe some country might think twice about it right because then there's some level of accountability there maybe someday you know somewhere along the line like it has to help whether it's not going to eradicate it and maybe only help by like five percent ten percent but it's more symbolic that apple's like actually going out on this stand because the what you have the other way of reading this newsroom report is that like you know this this company works (laughs) like their (laughs) their hacks work like apple wouldn't be opening a lawsuit against someone that um there was it, it was easy for them to overcome and you know there's already years of history in the tech space of us knowing about this going on but by filing a lawsuit apple's bringing this directly into the public like there'll be news headlines about this and people go oh yeah my iphone theoretically is not is vulnerable to this stuff despite apple's you know overall messaging of security and privacy of course mm-hmm. um, as well as the lawsuit just to just to add apple also said it would be contributing uh 10 million dollars to organizations pursuing cyber surveillance research and advocacy and any damages that come out of the lawsuit will also go to the cause as well and they're providing uh, assistance to the citizen lab group in terms of technical support threat intelligence and engineering assistance to aid their independent research uh, and also other organizations doing critical similar work in the space so i think this is good like whether it actually has a net result that's of any meaningful quantity uh remains to be seen but look if apple's going to be the company that's standing up for your security standing up for your privacy you have to like do stuff about it right and the technical side is great but attacking these come attacking these big state-sponsored actors head-on is also another way of showing that you actually do really care you know uh like part of the thing about part of the reason why apple's like app store arguments about security and privacy feel so weak is that they don't do enough to keep the app store safe in many ways um but clearly, in terms of like device security, they're they're on the ball, and this is taking it even one step further. So I'm I'm glad this has happened. Uh, I remain unconvinced that it will cause any like long term noticeable improvement. But I think it's interesting for sure. All right, um, and then also this week, since we 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 last spoke, there was a new report about the progress and status of Apple's car project, their electric vehicle project uh, called Project Titan. Um, this comes from, from Mark Gurman and Bloomberg, who highlights that uh, Apple, you know, there was this recent report from, from, from Mark and others that said Kevin Lynch, who is the Apple Watch, you know, he, he came in to, he came from Adobe to Apple to be the vice president of technology and work on special projects. And then that was the Apple Watch. And that was um, not too far, you know, not, not, not too long before the watch came to market. Um, the idea here is that he he comes into the car project after a number of 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 people came on and left, but that that maybe that means that that it's getting closer to being a you know R from R and D to an actual product. And um, what what Mark says is that under uh, Kevin Lynch's leadership, they they want to 
bring this thing to market, announce it uh, as a product as soon as 2025. So um, that rolls out, you know, the next couple of years, but say within, within uh, four years, they, that that's the goal at Apple right now is it's, it's not, are they making a car or, you know, is it going to be a car or will it be a technology that's for all cars, but that they want this thing to be an actual electric vehicle that has complete self-driving, full self-driving um, and come to market um, as soon as 2025. So um, did, did you see anything in this that stood out to you as interesting? Compared well, to what we've apparently Lynch, like not only is he targeting 2025 to be the release date, which means the car would have to go into production, what, like at least two years in advance. So they presumably announce it in like 2023 because they're not going to hide massive factories producing Apple cars. Um, maybe 2025 is just the announcement date, maybe. But if they actually want to ship them in 2025, then they need to like start producing them at least a year ahead, at least a year ahead of schedule. Uh, but what was most interesting to me in this report is not necessarily that like 2025 is the date, but Lynch wants the car to be fully autonomous in, to the point of not having a steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. Now that sounds a bit ambitious like we we heard about this actually uh in the when when the apple car projects first flared up in like 2015 2016 it was reported that johnny ive and his team would you know run around themselves designing cars with no steering wheel maybe just like a globe for a steering wheel because you wouldn't need like you know a proper wheel and all this stuff because the car would drive itself and that kind of petered out as apple realized that you know autonomous driving was not going to happen anytime soon as far as 2015 is concerned but I mean, you can fast forward a decade to 2025 and I don't think the technology is still going to be there by 2025 that you could actually ship a car with no steering wheel. So the fact that Mark's even written this report as like serious thing kind of surprises me. Like, you know, you can see the state of the art in terms of self-driving on the on Tesla's side and the cars are good and they do drive themselves fairly regularly, but you couldn't put all your blind faith in them and just sit in the back seat and, you know read a book you have to have your hands on the wheel you have to be looking because they make mistakes all the time especially when you go off the beaten track of like motorways and highways are those problems all going to get resolved in four years seems unlikely to me the only thing maybe they could do is because we still don't know whether they're actually going to like release a car to the public in terms of like you buy a car for 50 grand or 100 grand or whatever uh, which is obviously insane amounts of money but you know apple's not going to go for a cheap car um (laughs) Or they do like a Uber replacement where they have like a, a you know a self driving fleet of cars, and maybe in like L.A. or California to start with, you can like rent a car, but it's cheaper than Uber or Lyft because there's no person in it, right? So they don't have to pay the, the driver; they could just have a car come and pick you up and take you somewhere. In that case, autonomous driving still matters and is still a huge issue uh, to overcome. But maybe they could, if they're only targeting very specific geographies. To start with, and this is pure speculation, right? This isn't reported anywhere, but we don't, we just don't know. But if they did that, then I could see them maybe having some autonomous driving taxi service by that time in those limited areas. Because if you're only focusing on like a certain, like say, fifty mile radius, you can map so precisely that entire area that the the performance of self driving goes up dramatically. In fact, Waymo, which is Google's self driving unit, they do exactly this. Uh, I can't remember the city. But they do this already within like a two mile radius and they have like fully self-driving taxis within this two mile zone. The big problem with self-driving is just the thing that Tesla's trying to tackle and many others, uh, we believe, including Apple, which is like the entire country. You can just drive anywhere you want, right? Unbounded. That I, I think that's 
completely unrealistic to expect that to be ready in 2025. I just think it's impossible. Maybe yeah. they could do like taxi service inside of San Francisco, right? And that's where they start with the Apple car and then they very gradually expand the geographies over time while they're still working on the you know worldwide self-driving system that will be ready 2030 maybe do you know what i mean like the the timeline for 2025 for a fully self-driving car that can go anywhere you want with no steering wheel required too sci-fi for me yeah there, there was a morgan stanley report uh analyst at morgan stanley who who came out uh kind of in response to the the bloomberg um article this week and and the, the way they they say you know, they interpret it as is you know, they say this this must be, you know, a, a shared experience and not an own car. And, you know, that's definitely less ambitious than if you, well, I don't know if it's less ambitious. It's definitely um, different than, than you think of. It's differently ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> it's differently ambitious. I mean, I guess like market wise, it, it's, it's less ambitious than, than hope than, than Apple becoming a, um, an automobile maker, you know, and, and that, because you can totally make the case. I mean, I, I certainly could that, that, that cars, uh, it, it, computers, uh, battery technology. Uh, you know, talk about the, the neural engine and 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 artificial intelligence and all the stuff that Apple does um, with the iPhone. That you could, it's it, it's not it's not just insane to say that you go from um, expertise in what makes the iPhone what the product that it is to to then also making a, a smart vehicle. You know, that, mm-hmm. that is an electric vehicle that 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 has autonomous features. Um, but, but, you know, their, their read, and I think, I think their read of it was strictly because of the, the timeline of saying 2025, you know, that, that in the next four years that, that this thing would be come to market with these features, you know, no steering wheel, no, no, uh, brake system, the kind of, kind of things. It's not a car that you would own. And, um, even, even with Tesla, there's this, you know, grand vision of Tesla, cars being on the road as this shared experience as a shared service that um you know maybe you own you own a tesla but you also can have your tesla when you're not driving it you know be out on the road driving others so that it earns you income um you know and, and that's a lot more experimental you know just see what see what works as as you know may, maybe it will happen maybe it won't but but with this you you, you have to imagine apple would do this in a very conservative limited way as a service and um, and that, that, it, that, you know, like you said, differently ambitious, it's a lot different than, you know, will you and I will one day will, will our, our car purchase, our automobile purchase be, um, you know, from Apple, it, it, it's, it's, you know, more likely to say, well, will, will we, you know, ride on, <laughs> will we take advantage of a service, you know, if we're at, as at CES in Las Vegas, will we get from point A to point B with, um, you know, an, an Apple self-driving vehicle of some type. And, and I, I just, you know, I, I've, when I was in Orlando, there was a, there was a service called beep there. That was a autonomous vehicle, but there was still a driver on board that would, would take over and, um, that kind of thing. But, um, I, I, I just, you never thought of that as like, I'd like to own one of these one day. It's very much just the, the, the taxi service to get around town without needing to own, own, own a car or deal with parking. So, um, it, 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 it changes the vision in a way that makes it more uh, reasonable and less sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, it's still it's still a fantastical, complicated I- idea, but yeah, like sure. that's yeah. the more reasonable path. And, and maybe like the twenty twenty five is taxi service, and then twenty thirty they actually do just cars you can buy yourself, right? Like it doesn't have to be the end point; like it could just be the the starting off point. Because mm-hmm. I do think it makes perfect sense for Apple to make a car. Like they dominate your life with the iPhone. Apple has the money to make a car, but 
with your life on a phone all day long, apart from when you're driving, because you're not allowed to drive and use your phone at the same time. So if Apple wants to control your entire life, they need a car there too to take up that that time, right? And if they can make it self-driving and fully autonomous, even better. Um, I obviously I fully believe they're working on it. Are they going to meet twenty twenty five? I wouldn't I wouldn't like bet on it at the moment. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, there was even that report I think last week that Apple had finalised the design for the chip, so they produced the custom chip uh, that will end up shipping inside the car, and it will be like a big neural engine, and that was finalised last week. Supposedly, again in the Bloomberg report, and if you go by Apple's normal chip timelines, they take about three years from design to manufacture. So that would line up to twenty twenty five, I guess. So, I mean, the, the the signs are certainly put in the right direction. It's just kind of crazy to imagine. So, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. L- l- last thing on this, I wanted to do is, is uh, um, I would love to uh, just based on this Morgan Stanley report, um, the language that they use, um, the the way that you say Apple wants to control every, you know, well, they they, they want to have a they want to have their, they want to be able to monetize different, I mean, they, they're a company that makes money. So um, it, it helps the company if they can make money with, in, in different ways throughout your life. So um, that, that sounds like, like, you know, you could say, well, that's not quite Apple, but um, the, the way they, Morgan suddenly puts this, uh, they have this, this, this quote that we pulled out, which is um, assuming a value per mile of anything above 50 cents per mile suggests a multi-decade trillion TAM, TAM longer term. I don't know what that means, um, and, I'm, and I'm not used to de- uh, multi-decatrillions of whatever TAMs are, um, but, but they go on to say, in addition to the direct monetary value for transport services, the amount of time humanity spends in cars is very significant. In our calculations, humans, uh, drivers, and passengers spend more than 600 billion hours in cars every year, equivalent to 68 million human hours inside cars per year. Basically... You know, they've, they've got an idea of how can, how can we monitor, how, how can we put a number, a metric on time spent in car and what is that worth? And, and, you know, you could, you could say the business side of Apple has the same idea. You know, what, what can we do there? Yeah, for sure. Ta- TAM is totally a addressable market, by the way. So that's where that number comes from. Nice. Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Prisoner Wine. What matters most when it comes to great wine? Is it the taste? Is it the vintage? Is it the price? These are all important factors, but what also matters is the story behind the wine and who made it. Introducing the Prisoner Wine Company. The Prisoner Wine Company is simply here to bring you the best wine around with impeccable attention to detail. The Prisoner Wine Company insists on doing things differently. 20 years ago, they combined some of California's most unusual grape varieties to make a bold and complex blend to create their flagship product, their namesake, Prisoner Red Blend. It evokes ripe fruit flavours like raspberry and pomegranate, and it is refined to be incredibly smooth. The wine is unapologetically red in concoction, but it's smooth, rich, and approachable by anyone. And it comes in a beautiful bottle featuring Francisco Goya's iconic artwork. In fact, the flagship Prisoner Wine brand is one of Napa Valley's most recognised red blends, appearing in publications like The Wine Spectator, Forbes, and Food & Wine. But of course, the only way is to experience these wines for yourself. Try one bottle, and you'll taste and see just how good the Prisoner Wine Company is at making wine. And now the company will ship all of their rule bending blends like the Prisoner Red Blend, Prisoner Chardonnay, and Thorn Melot direct to your door. So go to theprisonerwine.com slash happy hour for 20% off plus shipping included on your first purchase. Order now to get it in time for the holidays. This is the best deal they have available. So get 20% off plus shipping included at theprisonerwine.com slash happy hour. That's the Prisoner Wine, T H E P R I S O N E R W I N E dot com slash happy hour offer is valid on first time online orders only for u.s residents of legal drinking age 
through the 31st of steps December 2021. Limit one offer, one offer per household. Other exclusions may apply. Please enjoy wines responsibly. Thanks to the Prisoner Wine Company for sponsoring the show. Hi, right, Mayo. Uh, finally, well, let's get into your MacBook experience because you've had uh, time time with it, you know, more than I have. I've had a couple of minutes, and you've had a couple of weeks now, or at least a full week and, and, and change. Uh, so, uh, how is it? What do you think? Oh, it's it is so good. Like, I'm going to get into some niggles right and naturally the niggles are negatives but these are like mini bites out of a perfect pie you know like i've dealt with the 2016 butterfly MacBook pro for so long apple could have done pretty much anything and made me happy but they've definitely gone above and beyond with this like just think for a minute like a general macbook pro year to year upgrade you get a slightly faster processor you might get an upgraded camera Maybe the screen gets a tiny bit better, like when they added like True Tone. But you don't get everything they add in this generation all at once very often at all, right? Like they upgraded the screen, they upgraded the camera, they upgraded the physical chassis design, they upgraded the CPU, the GPU, the battery life, the fan noise, the ports are back, that makes people happy. Like the speakers are better, the microphone's better, the headphone jack's better. So many different axes you could examine this laptop from, and it's going to make so many different types of customers happy. Because, like, the problem with the 2016, it was aimed at a specific type of professional. And for that type of professional, it probably worked pretty well. Like, ignoring the keyboard, right? The butterfly keyboard was obviously just a straight-up mistake, and they eventually referred to that. But if you ignore the keyboard issues, the overall, like, philosophy of the 2016 generation, where you had only Thunderbolt 4 ports, uh, only Thunderbolt 3 ports and having four of them and nothing else, and then having that kind of slimmer enclosure, like certain customers types would get along with that very, very well. And I would include myself in one of those brackets because I just had a Thunderbolt dock. I did programming. I didn't have to worry about video stuff and GPUs, uh, something that the laptops have always lacked in before now. Um, and that 2016 generation was pretty good, aside from the keyboard situation. Uh, but if you're going to address the pro market, you have to go with something that's more widely accepted. Like, the 2016 was almost so divisive, it should have been, like, an offshoot product. Like, you can get this one if you want to, but here's our, like, mainline MacBook Pro for everybody else. And over the course of the last five years, they finally come back around to a MacBook Pro that can appeal to everybody successfully, depending on whatever your, like, pro needs are, uh, as well as just being a great update in every regard. So, I'll break down some individual stuff. Firstly, like the overall physical design, it is boxy. And I think it's kind of cool. Like it definitely harkens back to the, you know, the MacBook PowerBook designs of the 2005 kind of generation, whether you're talking about the titanium ones or like the white plastic ones, but obviously now it's aluminium. It, it feels almost like a, like a mini briefcase because the magnets mm. are stronger too. Like when you close the top case, it like snaps together. Uh, at least on my one, uh, my old laptop, it was quite, not flimsy, but like it didn't feel secure. And something they've done with this generation is the the top part of the laptop, i.e., the bit that enclosed the screen, the, like the display enclosure, it's no longer tapered, right? Like the old one was. So it's just all a bit thicker. It almost feels like a mini iPad on the top because it's like uniform thickness all the way along. And it, you bring these two p- parts together, and then there's this really satisfying magnetic attachment. Like it's a cool design, and they get they can run with this for for many, 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 many years. I do think it is heavier 
than I anticipated. Like my 2016 was so light. It was crazy. Like for for what it was, it was crazy light. With the six, obviously now they've gone to a six inch screen when and the 2019 uh, got a bit thicker and heavier because of that. But this is also slightly thicker and heavier than the 2019 was too. And so by going from the 15 point French in 2016 to this, the difference in weight is pretty noticeable. Like. The old laptop, I could probably pick it off the table with one hand quite easily. This one, I feel like I have to two-hand it. And at least to like get a grip on it off the table when I'm carrying it around, I can like, put it under my arm or wherever, it's fine. But just bringing it up and like into my laptop bag, which is something I do every single day, it is slightly more annoying that it is so heavy. And like, I feel like the over... And similarly with the thickness, like it's thicker than I would prefer it to be. But I, I think it's fine and, and it meets the bar of like general acceptability because they've clearly made it thicker to accommodate like the GPU situation, right? And they've just by making it slightly thicker, you can have a bigger battery and you can have a much more thermal window for a much beefier graphics card. And I'm not a customer who's looking for a strong graphics card, but for the people that are, i.e. and clearly one of the biggest markets Apple targets with all of its machine all of its pro machines nowadays is like video editing workflows, right? They want the better graphics cards, and by making the machine a bit thicker, they can they can achieve that. And the other part, the other reason why the laptop is thicker is because the screen is thicker, right? And why is the screen thicker to accommodate the mini LED panel and stuff? And that I definitely benefit from. And I, the two millimeter increase in top case thickness compared to the tapering version to get the super density display with the with the backlighting and the mini LED, I would take that trade off every single day. Like if you want a kind of vague metaphor for the difference in like size i think it looks like the new laptop if you cut off the screen part so the bit that you lift up the bottom base is about as thick as my old laptop and then you have to add on the screen bit on top that's about the difference in thickness difference in weight it feels about 40 percent heavier to me but again obviously some of this is accommodating for the fact that the overall laptop is just bigger right so you're getting a bigger screen um it's not it's perfectly adjustable if I was designing my perfect laptop, I would not have GPU cores and I'd get a machine that was slightly thinner and slightly lighter, right? But Apple's going for an entire strata of pro customer here. So the trade-offs they've made are pretty good, I think. Uh, and like, it's not, it's, it's nitpicking, but it's not miles away from the 2019 generation. So if you if you have a 2019 16-inch, this will feel pretty much right at home, apart from the lack of the tapering, which I think is as much of an aesthetic change as anything else, because it just, it just looks cooler. Uh, and I think this one's like a bit easier to pick up just by the feel when you like it's nicely rounded on the edges. Like one thing I was worried about when they announced this generation was that the sides would feel like the Apple TV remote, like the 2020 Apple TV remote. And I love the design changes they've done with the 2021 remote. But the thing that I would criticize it for is the sides are like straight edged and it's just aluminium block with straight edges. And these sides do dig into your palm a bit. Whereas if they were rounded off, it would be a lot nicer to the touch with this laptop they have the rounding like the very top is straight but the the bit that curves underneath has a nice bevel to it and so picking up and holding it in your hand aside from the weight it feels really nice and the 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 fact they've removed the macbook pro label from under the screen love that because i hate staring that every single day uh and they've now moved it to the uh bottom case like engraved that just looks really cool and the pole the bottom of the laptop is basically completely empty apart from the screws and this like macbook pro etched uh engraved into it like and it's it's not just like a very light engraving it's pretty deep so you can like put your fingers in there and it feels great maybe in three years time i'll regret it because it's got filled with dust and dirt but but now while the laptop's still new it looks looks beautiful the screen obviously this screen is like 
the best app was ever made for, by a long shot. And it probably, I haven't seen a Pro Display XDR in a long time. I saw them like once in a store. Just based on tech specs alone, this has to be better than a Pro Display XDR. And presumably when they rev the Pro Display next year, the year after, it will have like this screen technology in it just amplified out to 32 inches, right? Because the black levels are amazing. The brightness is crazy. Even if you're like, even if you're not doing HDR content, I feel like you can notice the brightest screen just doing anything else. And what I did notice, I tested, if you're in like a dim or like a fairly bright area, it will ramp up the screen brightness even further than my old laptop could ever go. So if you want to try this out for yourself, if you've got one of these laptops, just have it on your desk and get the iPhone, get your iPhone, turn on the flashlight on the iPhone and then just place it where the notch is on the MacBook Pro. And that's where the ambient light sensor is. And the actual laptop brightness will increase double i mean it was probably not double because i don't know exactly how nits scale i'm pretty sure it's like logarithmic or something but it doesn't it the, it the screen gets way brighter when you put a torch to it so in a sunny day which you know in the middle of uh october november december in, in britain we don't have many sunny days at the moment but i can imagine ram in the summertime i will definitely appreciate that brightness as well just in day-to-day use and when you do put on like a video that's hdr it looks absolutely stunning like the apart from the blooming situation it looks like an OLED display. It, uh, I would say very comparable to what you see on your iPhone, right? And the iPhone OLED suffers from jelly scrolling with the black levels, right? Because the uh, you get like the blurred blacks when you're scrolling uh, on like dark mode. The MacBook Pro Mini LED doesn't have that issue, but you get the blooming situation instead where you get like kind of the faint brightness areas around like white text on black. But the area, the times when you see the blooming it's not like the core content it's always just like the video controls in the in the bottom of the screen right and so when you're just watching a vi- a movie the video controls disappear because that's what you do when you don't touch it and you're just watching the media, the the movie in the middle of the screen absolutely stunning incredibly bright whites incredibly dark blacks like and the color vibrancy is fantastic even just like the icons in the dock they just look way more vibrant than they ever did on my machine everything is just really crisp and bright and that's helped by the color depth and it's helped by just the resolution increase right because the, the the new 16 inches uh screen resolution is just so much higher than the old ones mm-hmm. while still being able to get 2x reno scaling which is great some other tiny little artifacts i'd say is you do get what i would describe as like vignetting so in the middle of the screen the brightness is completely uniform and 95 percent of the screen perfect brightness right like very even Perfect whites, perfect blacks, regardless of what you got there. But if you go to the very, 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 very edge of the screen, so like literally where the border is, where the bezel is, I'd say like that one millimeter, two millimeters, all the way around, it's dimmer. It's just darker at those corners. And the old laptops, the OCD panels, didn't have that issue. This no, is that's just like, like, that's like what I saw with the iPad uh, Pro. Yeah, it's exactly like what you see on the iPad. So this just has mm-hmm. to be um, a issue or a trade-off that you get a mini led wherever the backlights start they clearly don't start like far enough to the edge so that the very 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 corners light up bright like if you're if you're looking at a dark scene you don't notice it but if you've got like a light wallpaper you'll almost see like a it's almost like you've taken a screenshot of your laptop put it into like pixelmator and you've added like a five pixel like darkening blur around the edge right it's just slightly dark in every corner I don't know if this is something that they'll be able to fix in future generations display. If they can, great. But as it stands, you do know I notice it, but I'm not like, you know, you're not staring at the 
the two pixels border of your screen all day long. Like you're mostly looking in the center. And so the vignetting, if you if you stare very, very closely, it's there. But day to day, practically, you don't notice it. So I take the screen every single time. If Apple wants to bring its own display using this technology, I'll absolutely love it. If they want to do a prospect using this technology, fantastic. Ship it. It's just such a nice screen. I think it's slightly better than the iPad screen. Like, even not just like about the blooming stuff, just the the brightness and the vividness of the colors. It just looks better than the iPad for some reason. Just fantastic. H- having used uh, OLED on the iPhone since the iPhone ten, um, and and you know the trade offs with OLED. If 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 you were you know you could just say I have the choice between Mini LED and OLED. What what, what do you think you would you would choose for, for the, the phone? For the well, for the, for the Mac, you know, because because now you've because I feel like for the phone, I mean. Uh, does anyone does anyone wish that there was Mini LED instead? But but for the Mac though, I think it's still a toss up. You know, is 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 Mini LED a compromise? Do you think, or um, you know, because of some drawback with OLED, whether it's price or or availability or whatever, um, or do you think that Mini LED is just the better choice to, to here and and the screen size and this use case? I think maximum brightness, you get more maximum brightness with Mini LED on bigger screen sizes. Like uh, that, so that's one of the reasons. Second is supply. That's why they don't do it. In terms of trade, I'd say it's very, it's so close to cool whether you should pick Mini LED or OLED for for this laptop nowadays. Like, because with with OLED you get the the jelly black effect when you're scrolling on dark stuff, and you don't get on Mini LED, but you do get the blooming and you know the vignetting. I, if if you're looking at non moving content, I'd say OLED's slightly better, just because you don't get the uh, awkwardness in the backlighting situation. But if you're Using the laptop day to day, I think you have to go Mini AD because the 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 pixel response time issue on the OLED stuff. I think you'd see that even more prominently when the screen's bigger. Like you get away with it on the iPhone because it's like five inches, but if you're going to do this over like a twenty inch screen and you've got like a dark scene, I think you'd see it more more obviously. So I'd pick Mini AD for now. I I think obviously the the long 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 term Apple's going to move to Micro LED, right? Which is like all the benefits of OLED plus all the benefits of Mini AD uh, with per pixel backlighting, but that's still five or ten years that's still apple car levels away in terms of in terms of timeline but i i really it's really hard to call like i'm not yearning for oled after seeing the screen if that makes sense because even like even apple's lcds are nice don't get me wrong but they've just gone another step forward with this mini led panel mm-hmm. the biggest downside with this screen of course is the notch like it's obviously a compromise uh and it's huge right like the notch on the mabra pro is the same width as the notch on the iphone 11 pro but it doesn't have face ID in it. You know, it doesn't have the earpiece speaker that the phone does. So why is it that wide? I don't... It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I notice it on the 16-inch. It gets... it Like, obviously, it's up in the menu bar, so it's not interrupting you. But if you're just, like, sitting there, like, looking at your screen, it's been a week and a half now since me having this thing, I still go, oh, yeah, the notch is there. The notch is there. The notch is there. For whatever reason, I find it more in your intrusive than I do on the iPhone. Because... I feel like with the iPhone, you're generally looking like the middle of the screen or the bottom of the screen because that's where most of the content is. And then on the Mac, like I'm looking at Safari right now I'm, and that's maximized. So it's taking up the full height of the display. It's stopping below the menu bar and stopping ab- above the dock. But if I look where the URL field is, where I type in URL, bang, right above that, I've got this huge like black blob of the notch area, right? And I'm using a relatively dark background, but it still sticks out to me. Would I am I putting up with it? Of course I am, because you know the whole rest of the laptop is fantastic, and I think I would rather have the curved bezels, you know, tracing the edges of the chassis 
rather than having a thicker top bezel all the time. But in a perfect world, the notch would go away. Or in a slightly less perfect world, but more practical world, the notch would be way smaller. Like, I haven't seen a 14-inch MacBook Pro, but I can imagine on the 14-inch that the notch is even more in your face because then you're just, it's the same size and width, just with a smaller display, right? And even on the 16-inch, it's pretty big. And I don't know why it has to be so wide. Like, all it's got in there is the ambient light sensor, the LED, and then the camera. Like, why is it so wide? Are they just doing it because in two years' time they're going to put Face ID in there and they want it to be that wide? I don't know. But even if that's the case, are they not going to be able to recreate what they do on the iPhone where, like, the iPhone 13, where the the notch is, like, 20% thinner? And is it always going to be this thick thing? Uh, I, I hope they can sort that out, but, like... Have, have there have there been teardowns yet of this? I haven't looked, but have there been, like, has I fixed it, taken it apart? And... I haven't actually looked, to be honest, but, I mean, yeah. obviously the, the, the components for Face ID have issues because of thickness, right? But... I wouldn't think that, that would have issues in terms of width, but um, yeah, I should probably look at a teardown and see whether there's just like free space or not. <laughs> or or take yours apart real quick. Yeah, I'll happen. definitely do that. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, Apple's got self-repaired manuals now, right? So it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> take the screen off. And then the other thing is the, the way that the cursor interacts with the notch, right? So I think it's well, the way it works most of the time is... You could always just imagine the notch isn't there. The the cursor flows freely around the screen, and so but the notch is there, so you can cover up the cursor with the notch. I think that's a mistake. They should have made it so it like bounces off or can't go past the edge of the notch, and it just curves around the the, the screen bezel. Like the fact that you can just drag your mouse and let go, and then the the mouse is completely vanished, just hidden behind there. It's really bizarre. Like it's a really strange choice. And like I could, there's because the notch is quite wide. There's quite a big axis of trackpad movement I can make before the cursor becomes revealed again. And it's a really weird sensation. But like it's very loosey goosey when it's hidden like that. Uh, I think they should make it so it's if it contacts the notch, it like either jumps straight, you know, those hundred pixels straight across, or you have to like curve and go around it. The curve and go around it thing sounds like that sounds a bit stupid. That found, found weird, except for the fact that the curved edges in the top left and the top right of the screen—that's exactly how they work. Like if you go if you go straight up, like perfect vertical gesture with your cursor, uh, with the trackpad, right? The cursor will curve into the corners of the of the curved screen, but the notch area it just pretends like it's not there at all, which is really weird. So, software-wise, I wish they would change that so it just like jumps, it like teleports from left to right or right to left like immediately because the the kind of no man's land in the middle feels really weird when you're like moving your mouse through it but overall like fantastic screen fantastic design these are these are note picks and i've got a few more but overall incredible happy hour is brought to you by ladder you know i had to go and get glasses this week it kind of hit me oh oh damn i'm i'm getting older (laughs) and stuff like life insurance it somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. And Ladder has taken the life insurance industry, modernised it for a digital age, and shook out all of the inefficiencies. And as you are reminded just how fragile life is, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which can be surprisingly affordable. You just pay a little bit each month to protect the ones that you love, So if you're thinking about this kind of stuff, then why not choose Ladder for your next life insurance plan? Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork required. It's all done online. You just need a phone or a laptop to apply. You fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. 
And if you prefer to talk to a real human, Lado has a team of licensed agents to discuss your options with them, and they don't work on commission-based pay. So that means they're there to help you and not to upsell you. Lado has no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. You can even get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Lado's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure, but you just want more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance keeps going up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. That's ladderlife, L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Happy Hour is finally this week brought to you by Text Expander. Thanks to our friends at Text Expander and Smile Software for sponsoring the show. Obviously, you've heard of uh, heard of us talk about Text Expander before many times, but did you know they just recently released a major new version, Text Expander 7? Version 7 brings a fresh new experience that makes the app easier to navigate and to use with a universally streamlined look and feel. It's more responsive and it has some new features to go along with it, including upgraded search and snippet suggestions. With enhanced snippet suggestions, Text Expander is even smarter at seeing the stuff that you type repetitively and offering it up as a reusable snippet, which you can create in just a couple of clicks. And the new UI also brings with it enhanced voiceover to make Text Expander accessible to more users than ever before. As ever, you can use Text Expander in so many ways to reduce human error and speed up your workday. Whether you're dealing with common customer support emails, sales messaging, or just things that you always forget how to spell correctly, Text Expander is the answer. Create a snippet once and then use the assigned abbreviation to quickly drop it in anywhere that you can type. Use Text Expander to create reasonable snippets for you and your team with advanced features like fill in the blank fields to personalize the message for each individual as needed. Text Expander works on any platform in any app, anywhere you type. So take back your time and unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Listen to this show and get 20% off their first year subscription. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more and sign up. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. So, I mean, are you using this laptop, you using Mavic Pro, are you using it, uh, you know, open in, in laptop mode or are you using it in clamshell mode and attached to a to a hub or like like you, I guess, imagine you were before your, your previous one for the most part? Yeah, so I have my desk set up with a like vertical second display arrangement. So my laptop sits on the desk and then elevated above it, I have a second display. Uh, this was meant to be like a short-term thing, uh, but it's kind of just stuck. So that's what I've lived with now until I end up moving when I'll rearrange it. Um, so I use it with the screen open and then the other, then the external display above it. Uh, so I'm, I'm basically using it as a double monitor setup where the, the laptop serves as one screen and obviously it screens way nicer than the external display and then the external display sits above as like the secondary Anthony window. Um, this is a solution I've gone with with the 2016 2 and I just have a Thunderbolt dock that plugs in on the right-hand side and then that gives me power. It gives me the display outputs. Uh, the one thing I was curious about was the fast charging thing because technically Apple says you only get fast charging if you use the MagSafe adapter. But even plugged into this Thunderbolt dock, it charges at 50%, maybe not in half an hour, but like within 50 minutes. Like it's clearly faster charging than what my old laptop would give. So that's that's been a big plus. But the biggest thing I've, I've noticed is just when I plug into the dock, it's so responsive and fast. Like... I think this. I think people made a big deal about this when the M1 laptops came out in 2020. But of course, I never had one, so I never got to experience this. But like with the 2016, you'd sit down at the desk, you plug in the the Thunderbolt cable, right? The power would start immediately, but it would take 
five seconds for the second display to wake up. Like the 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 dock would flash, the finder would move around, all the windows would jiggle about a little bit, and then okay, the screen's black on the top but lit up. Okay, now the screen's ready to use. Right with this machine, you plug in the cable, literally a snap of the fingers, and the other screen's connected, and the the windows are right where you need them, perfectly arranged. You unplug the cable, it immediately jumps back to the laptop display. It sounds like a little thing, but it makes it makes it, it makes just plugging in and unplugging so much nicer. Like there's no longer that waiting around. It's so good, and it actually makes clamshell mode more appealing. So if I did have, let's say, seven thousand dollars to spend on a Pro Display XDR, right, I could theoretically now use the laptop in clamshell mode and just have the thirty-two inch screen and only use that. Um, because before, just that kind of like annoyance of plugging the display and stuff was frustrating. Now it's so seamless that I could very much see myself using a clamshell approach down the road, right? Uh, maybe if Apple brings out a consumer display that's not $7,000, I consider that. I like the the way that my desk is currently arranged, I can just have the second display of the laptop there, but I'm not like um, religiously opposed to working in clamshell mode uh, as I was before because just the M1 like architecture makes it so much more nice and appealing to use because you'd literally just plug the cable in and boom, the second display is immediately ready to go. And if you shut the laptop, that, that applies too to the laptop lid, right? So you close the lid, immediately all the windows that were showing on the laptop screen jump up to the display above. You open the lid again and immediately they jump back down. Like that that responsiveness and immediacy is just so good. And that applies to like the overall laptop as well, of course. The whole thing's super fast. Most things happen instantly. I talked about this bit in last week's show, but even just like closing a tab feels faster than it did before. Some of that's to do with the 120 FPS, although, you know, that, that, in, that implementation is spotty. Uh, but a lot of it's, I think, just used to the, the, the processor inside it being so fast, like opening basic websites that you never felt were slow before are now faster to open and launch. Like, it's just great. And I've been using, obviously, since last week's episode, I've, I've been using the laptop for my proper day job of, you know, Xcode development and stuff. And all my builds are faster, all my compilations faster, launching the simulator in Xcode's faster. Obviously, doing a full build isn't instantaneous. It still takes time. But whereas before, it would take me like two minutes. Now, it takes like 30 seconds, which is a huge speed up. So it's just so good in, in that design. Uh, and doing everything that I do with it thing, the laptop is so quiet. It's like if I'm not doing compilation all day long, it's dead silent. If I'm doing Xcode compilation, the fan maybe turns on like to one, to the, to the, the most inaudible audible noise if that makes sense like you could just mm. barely hear it if you bring your if you bring your head really close to the keyboard like a unnatural distance to the machine like sitting at normal desk in in the chair you don't hear it but if you get really really close you can hear the very slightest like so probably it's so so slight so slight compare that to my old laptop where it, it was like an airplane taking off literally just turning it on right i can i can be doing handbraking codes videoing codes I can be doing Xcode, I can have Safari open, I could do this Skype call or what we now do Zoom. Like on my old laptop, one of the reasons we didn't do video chat very often was just because having a video call going on, it would cause my laptop to literally go so hot and be so loud. Now it's complete non-issue. Like the fans basically inaudible for all intents and purposes and the machine doesn't get like boiling hot or hot to the touch. It does get a bit warm. Like it's not like dead it's not like a stone cold slab like you can feel it if you put your fingers on it but it's perfectly acceptable and and okay to touch you know whereas the old laptop it'd get really hot sometimes especially in the top end of the, the top end of the keyboard area 
whilst also the fans going at a million miles an hour. Now it's like basically silent fans and the very slightest like warmth on my fingers. So fantastic all around there. Uh, keyboard and ports. Keyboards like whatever. Um, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not gonna go into all the butterfly nonsense, right? Because obviously that sucked and my old laptop was terrible. Comparing it to like my external keyboard, the keyboard's nice. It's good. I have my external keyboard is the Apple wireless keyboard um, that has the arrow keys, the full height arrow keys. So it did take me a bit of adjustment on this one on the internal laptop keyboard because I kept hitting the top half of where the arrow keys are, but now there's no arrow key there because it's a T shape. But, you know, after a couple of days, my fingers adjusted and I've been hitting them fine. It's not a problem. Uh, the 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 um, travel on the keys is pretty good. Like, I I liked the low travel of the... But- like, I honestly like the butterfly keyboard feel, but it was ignoring the durability, right? And this has gone right, back to man, more classic too. Apple keyboard design, which I love too, and that's what my external is. So I'm not going to complain. But if Apple wanted to, like push the travel a bit tighter and make them even more stable. I, I'd be down for that, but I think they're going to stay well clear of any keyboard changes now for the next decade just because they've been burned so hard with the with the butterfly monstrosity. Um, I'd say that my biggest disappointment of this entire laptop is the battery life situation. With Apple Silicon, with it being heavier, right, I was kind of expecting the battery life to be stellar like what it is for the M1 laptops, like the M1 MacBook Air, right? And unfortunately, for my use case, it isn't It isn't that. Now, is it way better than what I used to have? Of course, because my old laptop, when it was brand new, it'd get like three hours of use. And after hundreds of cycles of being recharged, uh, near the end of life, it would last about 45 minutes on battery. So obviously, it's way better <laughs> than that. But is it getting... I'm not getting the like... Because Apple quotes, what, like 21 hours video playback? Mm-hmm. So you can't ignore that. You have to go for like an average workflow, right? So I I normally take Apple's number and I halve it. So I go 20 hours of video play. Okay, I'm going to get 10 hours doing what I actually do. And I waited a few days for the, you know, for the demons to finish and everything and all that to run out. But I'm still only getting like, I'd say five or six hours of actual use out of the thing. Now, if I was only browsing the web and doing Twitter, I'm sure I'd get closer to 10. But doing my actual job, right? Xcode, that kind of thing. Twitter in the background, Skype, uh, not Skype, uh, TweetDeck and Safari and that kind of stuff. I've done it twice in a row now, and I get basically five-hour battery life. I mean, I'm not going to say no to that, right? That's way better than what... And I'm I'm pretty sure that's better than what the 2019 16-inch would get as well. But it's not the double-digit 10-hour-plus battery life that a lot of other people have been getting. Again, it's all workflow-dependent. And one thing that that has come uh, to light since ordering is that the m1 max gets a couple of hours less than the m1 pro for whatever reason the extra gpu cores the extra ram that's just more battery heavy so if i'd have known that up front maybe i would have picked the m1 pro um just to get the extra couple of hours of battery life out of the thing but Mm -hmm. i love having 64 gigs of ram and the only way to get 64 gigs of ram is to get the m1 max so Still, I'm happy with what I've done. Uh, with yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, you definitely don't have the, the the Mac even in the in the in the Apple Silicon lineup that has like the best battery life. It it's the best performance, and so you know it, it, you have to compare to Intel and not to the rest of the the M1 M1 lineup, especially because like if you if you, is it is it true that the 13 inch I think this is right the 13 inch MacBook Pro the Touch Bar model is like that's that's got quoted the best. Just for for mixed usage, I think mm-hmm. for video playback, you know, it's it's the bigger the battery, the better. But but for mixed usage, 
that that touch bar macbook pro is still the best followed by yeah the i think Air. i think that's quoted like 14 hours and the official laptop numbers from apple are like 12 for the 16 inch so yeah, right yeah yeah but but people generally report getting like 15 hours out of their macbook air right because <laughs> the the m1 generation machines were just they had almost too much battery for what they needed right like uh, so if you if you're looking for the most battery life, you should definitely get like the M1 MacBook Air or the, or the 13 inch Touch Bar. These these machines, they're power machines. I was expecting like even given that the battery life to be slightly higher, and maybe if you did get the M1 Pro and you were doing slightly less intensive things like not Xcode, um, you probably would get closer to like the 10 hour battery life number. Uh, but just for my workflow alone, which is what I can speak to, uh, I'm getting about five hours, perfectly fine. And obviously, most of the time I'm using my laptop plugged in as a desktop thing, so. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of things, but expectations-wise, I was expecting it closer to to ten. I'm getting closer to five, but that's literally the only like bullet point on the list where I'm like, this hasn't met what I thought was going to happen. Everything else is like absolutely stellar with a few little niggles around the place. So I'm so thrilled. I'm so happy. The laptop cost a fortune, but it's worth a million dollars. Good headline there. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> and, and, and you will use it for for you know several years to come. Oh yeah, I'll be using this at least for four years. If if Apple wants one improvement for when I'm next ready to upgrade, they should take the black keyboard well and work out how to make the entire laptop black. Yeah, that's the black. The black keyboard looks so cool, but I wish the everything else was black as well. <laughs> you could even charge more for that option. Yeah, I, I mean, not, if they charge £100 extra, I'd pay it, not going to lie. Black would be so mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, this week, I just want to do a couple of like Apple TV Plus shout-outs. So, uh, a fortnight ago, Apple debuted uh, Finch, which is their like new big movie. It's starring Tom Hanks. It's like sci-fi-y. Uh, it's, it's like a sci-fi premise, but the actual movie is like a road trip across America with a Tom Hanks basically acting alone in the entire film alongside a dog and a robot. So very castaway kind of vibes. Uh, I thought the film was great though. If people haven't seen it, especially over like the Thanksgiving weekend, they should check it out because it's it's a fun two hour movie. Great visuals. The CGI and the robots really impressive. I thought like I, before the movie came out, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be one of those things where like you're just distracted by how computery or fake the the companions look the entire movie. But no, the the CGI and the robots really good. Is voiced by Caleb Landry Jones, and that's cool too. Slightly weird choice of voice filter on the robot, I will say. It's a bit Borat if you've ever seen that, but uh, <laughs> overall film is fantastic. You should definitely watch it. It's just like it's like one hour and a half, two hours. If you're expecting like you know a big ensemble cast and like interactions and big shootouts and stuff, don't don't. This is not that kind of movie. It's Tom Hanks on his own with a robot and a dog for two hours. Great, I loved it though. It's fantastic. Better than Tom Hanks' previous Apple TV was out in greyhound which was fine but not great uh okay this one's a lot better and then literally this week they have uh, a new documentary film coming out called twas the night before christmas this is the hilarious true story of a man in north idaho who is so committed to christmas that he like goes to the nth extreme in terms of decoration and hosting like a christmas extravaganza on his driveway to the point that the rest of the neighbours get so annoyed at him that they have to go to court and he gets served like an official court order not to decorate his house. And the the trader has this funny line where he's like, I'm the only person in America who's been told by court not to put up Christmas decorations. It's quite funny. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. This this wasn't on my radar. And the way you described it before I saw the trailer was that this is the closest thing to reality TV on Apple TV+. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you watch it, it's like, oh yeah, this is very different than anything that Apple has so far. And it looks funny. It feels like very like 
Netflixy in terms of the kind of reality show aspect of a real thing, but it's not like because I, I like a big criticism of my world against a lot of like Netflix like true crime documentaries and even something like Tiger King, right? Like, is they just push the fake realities to the limit and they they extract like so much human pain for entertainment value that it's kind of like a bit ethically you know against the thing like this is it's about at the end of the day no one's getting hurt from this it's just some guy who loves putting up christmas decorations and the neighbors getting annoyed at it so if the the subject matter is a lot less severe so the levity of the situation and how the film handles it i think is you know much more appropriate but it's definitely the most like Netflixy reality show Apple has traded, but in this case, I think it works, and the trailer looks hilarious. So I'll check it out for sure. Uh, and I, I watched all of the second season of The Morning Show. Uh, it ended last week, um, and I guess it was it was ten episodes. With Ted Lasso was twelve, so we knew that that you know that, that there's two thrown in for the Ted Lasso season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't keep up, you know, every week with what number is this, but. Um, if I didn't know that it was the season finale, then I might have thought, okay, let's see what happens in the next, you know, couple where they take this. Cause it, it just kind of seems like, all right, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't abruptly end, but, um, it, 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 it's, it's different. I mean, it's not the same as the first season. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed, the first season had such yeah. like an explosive crescendo in the last episode, right? Right. Yeah. And I, I, maybe, maybe you could say that the second season was, was more eventful throughout the season. Um, I know a lot of people have different takes on it that it's, it's, um, just not what they want or not what they expected or, it, it, but I, I, I enjoyed season two of the morning show, um, almost all through the, until the end. And it wasn't that it, it just had a bad ending, but it was just that it ended, you know, and, and I, I didn't, um, it, it didn't have maybe the a closure. giant cliffhanger. The, the the closure or even a giant cliffhanger of like mm-hmm. what next or like a you know big teaser and i even like waited each episode has sort of a behind the scenes commentary about the episode um where they really talk about how great it was to make the <laughs> the show um and i was like oh, i'm going to watch that and see and i was even like reading um you know the the variety pieces with the interview with the with the showrunner and everything and um just trying to get a little bit more out of the show than, than what, than what was there um, once it was over. Um, and uh, I, I guess it's just, you know, season, season three, it, there Question hasn't mark. been an, yeah, there hasn't been an Elton about a season three yet. And um, that that's, that's fascinating, but, but it doesn't seem like it's a concluded storyline, but I, I think it has to get like, it, 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 it was Apple's like launch show. Right. I think, just for saving face, even if it's not getting them the numbers or whatever that they wanted, assuming as you've said, the second season doesn't end like with a finality, they'll give it a third season order just so it can like close out. If you see, what, if they if they're not planning on keeping it going for a long time, they're not going to let their like flagship show end on unfinished. Like it's not Little Voice. This is you know the morning <laughs> show, which they which they have spent so much money on. And it's like before Ted Lasso exploded, this was like their biggest hit, right? So yeah. Um, they're gonna let it. They'll let it close out for sure. And like, they're just waiting for whatever reason to announce it. Yeah, and it, it, it's. Um, I, I think. I think this, the storyline is so heavy and everything that that it, you know you could certainly exhaust um, what you do with with the show. But the, the the talent, even even the second season introduces some some new um, talent that you didn't see and that weren't involved in the first season. And so um, that's, that's one of the things I like about uh, Apple TV Plus is is less about. 
that the, it's often that I'm watching something that I might not watch otherwise, but I'm being introduced to things that I, you know, to to, to actors that I wouldn't see otherwise. And so now I'm like, Oh, I want to see more of them, you know? And, And because I guess the next thing from that is, well, let me go look for more of their stuff on other services but if Apple has a hit with certain talent, then it's really an incentive, I think, for Apple to, to say, well, let's involve them in more stuff than just having their thing be the morning show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, let me let me find more stuff for this person. So, um, Well, and I, they've I already cited that with Billy Crudup, right? He won an Emmy yeah. for the first season and he's off. They're currently filming uh, Hello Tomorrow starring him. So mm-hmm. they're, already, they're already on the road and I'm sure they'll try and wrap up Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon for other projects as well. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's more people in, in the... The second season, who were not in the first, I think that are that are standout performances. So that that's another thing that I think they nailed down. Even if you, you know, the subject matter or even the way that the story goes, um, you're not thrilled about. I think that the, at least the talent it, they they had a knack for, with with this season for attracting good talent, and um, hope to see that and 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 more, uh, you know, more more shows on Apple TV Plus. All right, that is the Happy Hour Podcast for this week. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts. You can uh, get the ad-free version for four ninety nine per month. Um, you can also uh, follow along for free with sponsors. And um, if you really enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. Give us a, um, a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that. And it helps more people discover the show. Um, thanks for everyone who does listen, who does write in each week. You can email us at Happy Hour at 905mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at B-Z-A-M-A-A. And we'll be back this week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.